everybody. Hey, thanks for coming out in the really cold weather. You're welcome. All right, well, guard your heart, guard your heart. Um, so here we are again. We're going to talk a little bit more about this video. We're going to remember why we're doing it because it's really important to make fun of yourself a little bit and not take yourself too seriously. Um, and then last week, we talked about this. We talked about the idea that sometimes we reduce Christianity to a little subculture that looks like us and sounds like us and talks like us and wears the things that we wear. And then we get in our mind the idea that everybody who's a Christian should look like us and talk like us and wear what we wear and do what we do. And we can do this so much and get so good at fitting into a Christian subculture that we can actually miss Jesus. And we can't afford to miss Jesus. Uh, the other danger, my husband, I was, uh, he was helping me prepare for this. And the other danger that he reminded me of is when, when we think that everybody else that's a follower of Jesus needs to look like us and act like us and dress like us and do the things that we do, we think they should be a Christian like us. The crazy part of that is Jesus wants us to be like him. We just have it like totally backwards. So I thought that was a really good catch by my husband, who is a hero tonight, actually, in the back of the room. So, yay! All right. So I don't, my name is Carla. I work at Orchard Hill Church. I get to lead basic along with uh, Carter Moore and Rachel Danley and Sarah Rocco and a bunch of amazing student leaders. So that's really cool. It's unbelievable. I never thought in my whole life I'd get to do something like this. So this week, we are going to explore what happens, and this is going to be a real Christian-y thing to say, so just bear with me. We're going to explore what happens when we get so good at talking the talk that we forget that we have to actually learn how to walk it out, how to actually live what we believe. So that's a pretty Christian-y thing to say, but that's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to look at this little gem called guard your heart or guard her heart, or guard his heart. But first I want to tell you a chick and a duck story. Oh, chicks, they're so good. So about 11 years ago, about 11, if you have never been able to be around a baby chick, you need to make it happen, because they're really wonderful. They're just real sweet. You hold them just like this. So about 11 years ago, my daughters, who just turned 16 yesterday, and they're here as well, uh, they, yeah. happy birthday, late, uh, they were in kindergarten and their kindergarten teacher had this really cool activity where they had an incubator in the classroom and they got to hatch chicken eggs and out of chicken eggs come little baby chicks and it was really fun and we were all excited about it and then if you've ever been in a kindergarten classroom, you just can't have chicks in a kindergarten classroom very long because nothing will get done. So the teacher asked if there would be a family who would want to give the chicks a home and of course we were like, we do, bring them on and we had this old uh, like guinea pig cage. So we got it all ready for them, brought the chicks home, put them in the garage. They were all safe and sound, went to bed, got up the next morning, and we all went out to the garage to see how the chicks were doing. And I knew something was wrong the minute I opened the door and there weren't any little chicky noises going on in the garage. Whew. So took a deep breath, walked over to the cage. It was empty. But I thought, 
Maybe they're just little Houdinis and they're hiding in the corner somewhere, right? Just scared and quiet. But no, I looked around for them and I looked on the floor and there were four little lumps of flesh. A raccoons had gotten into our garage and reached their scrawny arms through the bars and pulled them out and devoured them and all that was left, I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. All that was left was their perfect little tiny chick heart. Four of them on the floor of my garage. What in the world? Yeah, I know. It was horrible. So another time, the kids were a little older this time. I think it was maybe four years from now. Another time, the kids used their money to buy these newly hatched little Muscovy, I think they were called Muscovy ducks. And we chose them because they lay eggs really well and they can survive harsh winters if they last through the winter. And we got them. They were two days old. They were super cute. And they looked like this. And then they actually made it to this size. Next. They were like real ducks. And these ducks, they were so much fun. Have you guys ever been around? Have you, has anything ever imprinted on you? So these ducks imprinted on us. So we live in town, right? But we live pretty close to a creek. So we could walk three blocks on the sidewalk to the creek and the ducks would follow us. And we would cross the street and people would be sitting in their car like, what is happening? These people have ducks following them. And it was just great. And when little baby ducks get in the water, they go absolutely crazy. First, they're just like, oh, paddling in the water. And then they just start darting around and it's hilarious. So one day, oh, and the ducks' names were Gandalf the Great, Water Melantra, Queequeg, and My Little Space Buddy. So... One day, I thought it would be fun to take the ducks on a little field trip to a creek where there was a little quieter water, and maybe we could actually get in and swim with them. My children did not think this was a good idea, but I assured them that they would be fine. So we got to the field trip, we got the ducks out, and I looked over at the duck, and the duck was gobbling something off the ground. And then I was like, oh, free-range ducks. Like, they get to have grasshoppers. That's wonderful. And I looked back at him, and this is what happened. So the duck is standing on the ground, and his slender, beautiful neck just became like a rubber band, and his head ended up on the ground beside him. So his feet are on the ground, but his head is beside him. So my kids are hysterical, and I said, all right, get the ducks and go to the car. And I went over, get the other duck. I went over to this duck and looked at it, and it had like a long see-through filament coming out of its mouth. And I was like, oh, it's a wad of fishing line. That's not good for birds. I'll just get it out. It'll be fine. So I gave a little tug. It was a hook in the duck's mouth, and the duck was dying. And so then... All I can think of was, the duck is suffering, and it's a long story, but I had to help the duck not be alive anymore, and then wrap the duck up and take the duck back to the car. Yeah. A duck and a chick story. So you might be asking yourself, why, Carla, why, why, after the four hearts were on the floor of your garage, would you do this again? Why, why? And the reason is this. If you never take a risk, if you never take a risk or allow yourself to be vulnerable, open to pain, 
I don't think you're really living. I just don't. So I could have tried to guard the hearts of my kids. I could have never, I could have said no when they wanted to bring the chicks home. I could have said no when they wanted to buy baby ducks. And then my children would not have had to deal with death by raccoon, death by, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the rest of the story. Okay, there's more. What time is it? Okay, there's more. So then we come home with three ducks, right? We started with four, came home with three. Okay, it gets better. Then another one just died of some mysterious duck disease. And then a couple days later, I was in my house and I heard this horrible duck commotion, looked out my door, the largest German shepherd I've ever seen in my life was walking away from my house with its tail wagging with one of our ducks in his mouth. So of course I chased, tried to chase him down, but he was a German shepherd and he's way faster than I am. So we were down to what, that makes one duck, right? So a few days later, I hear the duck commotion again, look out, goodbye little space buddy. There goes him, you know, it was just crazy. So. That's the rest of the story. But back to if you never take a risk, you aren't really living. But if I hadn't let my kids have the ducks and I hadn't let them go through the really bad stuff, they never would have had little ducks imprint on them and walk down the street, right? That is amazing. They would have never been able to hold their little fuzzy body in their hand and feed them and take care of them and watch them grow. And another reason that we need to take risks and be vulnerable, starting when we're kids, is because we live in a world where there are righteous raccoons, male and female, who are just waiting to chew you up and spit out your heart. And that's really all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay, so it's true. There are mean people in the world that really do want to chew you up and spit out your heart. And there are bad things that happen. And there's sickness and there's accidents and there's lost jobs and there's failed classes and there's failed relationships. It's a rough world, right? But there are more good people in the world that don't want to chew up your heart and spit it out and who are kind of afraid of vulnerability and afraid to start relationships. And they feel a lot like you. And I know this is true because I've talked to a lot of you that are afraid of vulnerability and relationships and what that looks like and your past and mistakes and I don't know how to do it and I don't know how to do it right. So we're gonna look at this idea of guarding a person's heart or even guarding your own heart. We're gonna look at this idea and we're gonna look at a mistake that's commonly made. I think when we hear this little phrase, oh, I'm gonna guard her heart or I'm gonna guard his heart, we, we mistake it for, okay, then I need to keep people at a safe distance, it's crazy. I was just talking to somebody right over there before basic started who was like, okay, I, I don't get this whole thing because I know like as a Christian woman, I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to keep, but am I supposed to keep people out or am I supposed to, what does that look like? And the mistake we make is we guard our hearts with keeping people at a safe distance and we always want to have an exit strategy. Well, when I was at that creek on the field trip with that duck, there was no exit strategy. You know, and when we're having relationships with people, there's no exit strategy. So I don't want you to hear this. I don't want you to hear that there isn't really good advice about guarding your heart. And I just think we get confused about what it means. It seems like the Christian culture equates guarding your heart to sex, dating relationships, finding someone to marry. And I know that not all of you are 
in that place right now. And we also tend to equate it to putting your feelings on lockdown. You may sing. And of course, risk-taking is not always tied to dating and relationships. It can be jobs or risks to develop your talents and gifts or risks to speak up and defend someone who's an insider, I mean an outsider, or to take, maybe it's just like taking a risk to talk a little less and listen a little more. So wisdom, obedience, intention are all good things and important things in sex, dating, relationships, and finding someone to marry department. But I think we kind of want a one-size-fits-all guidebook with details for these things. And people have tried to get really specific about how you're supposed to date. One guy wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And then later, he changed his mind and he wrote another book about why he changed his mind. So there's no shortage of one-size-fits-all cures for what it means to be in relationships. But that's not what I want to talk about today. And I know that you guys are a little bit tired of it because it sounds like this. People want to tell you where you can go, who you can be with, if dating is okay or if courting is better, if it's okay to be in the same room alone, or if you should have friends with you, if you can even kiss, what counts and doesn't count as far as purity goes. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I don't think starting there with those things is the way forward in being vulnerable with people in relationships. So some of the attempts at making sense of wisdom and boundaries and dating are great and helpful and you should pay attention to them and you should be thoughtful about them and they should help guide you in relationships. But I want to look at where did this idea of guarding a heart even come from? And it came from Proverbs 4, 23, and it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So that brings us to mistake number two. It says, above all else, guard your heart. You can't guard someone's heart for them. Each person must guard their own heart. It's really clear. So, <clears throat> if you can't guard someone else's heart, what does guard her heart or his heart? I don't know if you guys heard it in the video, but the guys that were doing the video were like, hey, guard her heart, man. And it was like, guard her heart, bro. And you know the voice and the eyebrows and the face and the whole thing that goes along with that? So what is that all about? I don't think it actually means guard your heart. I think it means don't be a D-bag. <laughs> and if that's too rough around the edges for you, maybe it just means be really careful with people because people are a gift from God, every person you meet. So the other thing that bugs me about this phrase, guard her heart, guard your heart, guard his heart, is... People say it like it's this superhuman, graduate-level spirituality. Like, if you're able to be careful with somebody's heart, you've really arrived spiritually, like you're a spiritual giant. And if we're honest, this is just really elementary, entry-level kind of humanity, really, and definitely spiritual development. Everyone knows, even little kids know, that you should treat others the way you want to be treated. You should be full of care when interacting with others. And the other thing that's really important about this is this is not a uniquely Christian concept. If you go to any people group anywhere in the world, pretty much throughout time, they knew that you should be careful with people. You should treat others, especially people around you. So we'll, go, we'll talk about that later. So I actually call this hyper-spirituality. 
when you make basic human values, just basic humanity, like uber, uber spiritual. So I think, are you guarding her heart? Are you guarding his heart? Is kind of a hyper-spiritual thing to say. And when I say hyper-spiritual, I mean like this. Um, it's kind of like hyperactivity. So activity is good, right? Activity gets stuff done. But hyperactivity is annoying and unproductive. And I think that hyper-spirituality, being uber or over-spiritual about kind of basic human things, is annoying and somewhat unproductive. So, if guarding your heart isn't ultimately about dating strategies, and it isn't about keeping people at a distance and always having an exit strategy, and if it's true that you can't guard someone else's heart, and if saying you're guarding someone's heart really means just don't be a big fat jerk, then what does guarding your heart really mean? How's your heart, what does that mean? So let's follow a thread and unravel a little bit about uh, what Proverbs 4.23 means. It starts, so the, the verse that kind of this guard your heart came from is above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. But earlier in the proverb, it's a poem and a father is talking to his son and the first thing he says is this. Well, it's not the first thing, but it's in verse 20 where we're picking it up. So he says, my son, so it's a father, to his son, well, it could be a mother. My son, pay attention to what I say. To turn your ear to my words. Do not let them, my words, out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. And now it's interesting. The father moves out from his son to a bigger group of people, and he says, my words are, are health to one's whole body. And then he says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So what is in my heart that I must guard? Well, the poem tells us that they're words from the Father. Jeremiah 31, 33 says it a little bit differently, and it's uh, God speaking through Jeremiah. And God says, I will put my law, we could say words, in their minds and write it on their hearts. So, what is the law that God wants to write on our hearts that we need to guard with our ears and our eyes and our heart and our whole body? I think we can boil down God's law really simply starting in the Old Testament, so it's really close to the beginning of the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. It says this. I'm a little lost. Okay, so here we are, Deuteronomy 6. This is a famous prayer. It's called the Shema. Every little Jewish kid would have this memorized by the time they were like, they could talk, pretty much. So it's really well known. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your strength and with all your soul and with all your strength. Got that wrong. Uh, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. This is the core of God's law. And you guys know this. If you've been around the church any amount of time, you've heard it a lot of times. And then we go fast forward a lot of years to Jesus and some really hyper-spiritual people are trying to trip Jesus up and to trick him. And they say this to him, teacher, which is, this is in Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So he pretty much says the Shema. And then he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So we learn that guarding your heart means loving God, paying attention to his words. His law is easy. Love God. Well, it's not easy. It's simple. It's basic. But it's not easy. Love God and love others. You can become this kind of person by keeping your whole self, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your heart, your body, turned it, tuned into paying attention to Jesus. And then it gives us a few promises, like paying attention to God's word will bring life and health to your body. I think that must be some kind of unique health, because we aren't ever promised like good health because we do something right. I think it's some kind of health like being tuned into your creator. And I kind of think of it like this. Think of the most complex supercomputer ever created, and think about what that supercomputer could do if its creator, the guy who put it together, was working on it. What could that computer do? And that's us. When we're tuned into our, our uh, creator, we can do amazing things. So what do we do now? What do we take away? It's a little late, but we've got to take some things away. So you know what we could do? We could do this series, Shoot Christians Say, and then we could get hyper judgmental and we could always, like, anytime our friends talk about anything spiritual, we could be like, oh, you just said Carter Hart. Oh, you just said you want to go worship. Oh, you want to go to my D group? You want to go to my cell group? You want to go to life group? Um, and that's kind of a raccoon thing to do, right? <laughs> when people talk, do that and then we call them on it. <clears throat> Maybe you're thinking, if guarding my heart involves paying attention to Jesus and what he taught... Maybe my problem isn't really how I'm doing things in my relationships. I have no idea what Jesus actually taught. I know a lot of things about the cult, Christian culture and how I should move and act and talk in the Christian culture, but I don't know that much about Jesus and what he taught. We have tons of opportunities for you to sit down with people who won't judge how much you know or how little you know or even what you think about it to just honestly take some look, a look at what does Jesus teach? Who is he? What does he do? Um, After Dark is a great opportunity to have some conversations with people about that. You could ask them to join a gig, which do you know what that means? It means a God investigative group. And we're actually going to kick some of them up. It's simply sitting down with the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just looking at Jesus. We'll call it something else if it bothers you. But if, if, if that's something you're interested in doing, get a hold of us. Talk to us. Write your name down on a sheet out front because it, it would be good. So find out who Jesus is and what he says. And then the other thing we can do is we can just pay attention to our own heart. We can figure out what makes us want to keep people at a distance. What makes us only want to be involved in things where we have like an easy exit strategy. What is that about us? How, how, how are we wired up like that? And maybe the reason that you do that is past hurts. Or maybe it's your history. Maybe you're just thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do another relationship. Because I know in my head what I want to do, but I just can't make it happen in a relationship. I don't know, it's really scary. And maybe the most honest answer for you right now is, I don't really care. I don't know if I care that much. And that's a really honest answer to think about. And... God makes us a promise that if we turn towards him, he will start to like actually change our heart and inform our heart, maybe make us care a little bit. So I want to leave you with this. They're the words of Jesus. We're going to just say it as a prayer. So will you pray with me?
Jesus, these are the words that you said to people as you found them around the countryside. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So Jesus, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that we would want to know you, that we would trust that that's true about you, that you are a great comforter, and you're our great savior, that when we are most like raccoons, you came into this world to heal us all, one heart at a time, so that we can shed the parts of us that are like raccoons and become more like you. We, we ask you to forgive us when we paint uh, ourselves as the model of a Jesus follower. We just ask you to forgive us and to remind us every day in ways that uh, connect with us that uh, your idea is that we would look like you. Maybe we can't do all the things that you do, but we can live in a way that you would live if you were living our simple life. So help us to turn our hearts towards you. Help us to uh, love people really well and be careful with people because they are a gift from you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.